Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to be primarily in one passage again this morning, which makes me very happy. Uh, you can find it on page 914 in the Bibles provided there in the chairs. We'll be looking at this passage, but we will also flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe you've missed some, uh, some sermons in the past few weeks, we've been going through a sermon series on local church leadership. We decided to take a break from Proverbs to be able to focus on this in light of, of our nominating and then uh, voting uh, Kyle into eldership. We wanted to make sure that we understand, we clarify God's design and purposes for how the church should be structured and what part each and every single one of us has to play in the organization and in the, the service and, and direction and outcome of this local church. And so over the last three weeks, we have discussed the qualifications, the responsibilities, and the wisdom and blessing of having not just one, but a plurality of elders to lead and guide and direct every single local church. And now that we've sufficiently covered that office, the office of elder, we now turn our attention to the second office that we see in Scripture, the office of deacon. And so let me be clear right up front that the church presents, or Scripture presents the church with two ongoing offices within the local church. That is, one of elder and one of deacon. Okay, so we've covered the first. Now let's look at the second. Now let me just say this. In case you're feeling tempted to just tune out right now, like, what? Deacons, are you kidding me? That's so boring. Uh, let me just encourage you to pay attention here. This is so very important. You have no idea just how tangible, how practical, how relevant this is for just the day in, day out ministry of the church. This affects you in more ways than you can possibly know. And I hope that becomes clear as we go through this time together. And, and uh, when I, it's important for me in particular because I grew up in a church where they, they really confused this office of deacon. And in fact, some of the deacons in my church that I grew up in more closely resembled the mascot of the Wake Forest basketball team, the demon deacons, than they did the biblical office of deacon. They confused the qualifications, what, what, what a deacon is supposed to be like. They confused what a deacon is supposed to be to actually do the responsibilities that deacons have. And they literally, literally made life hell for the single elder or pastor of that church. And let me tell you, I have seen it happen so many times. Many, 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 many other times in many, 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 many other churches. Perhaps some of you could could share similar stories than the ones that I grew up with. And let me tell you just how bad it was, okay? This was so bad that when I grew up, as, as I read through the Bible, when I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul said, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated, I actually thought that he was talking about deacons. I kid you not. It was that bad. Those who were meant to serve the church, those who were meant to promote unity and to support the ministry of the word actually became the biggest adversaries of it. And friends, it was demonic. 
And apparently, it was a problem in Wake Forest, North Carolina too, hence the mascot, right? Now, an unfaithful board of deacons can be a living hell for the church, but when we come to embrace God's good and wise design for the church, for the offices of elders and deacons, and the whole church is actively building itself up together in love, then we grow in service, both to the church and outside the church. We grow in unity as a body of Christ. The word of God increases. The number of disciples of Christ are multiplied. And the saints grow in obedience to the faith. In other words, we grow to maturity in Christ. And deacons, deacons have a significant part to play in that. Without faithful deacons, there's dissension, disunity, disputes, disorganization, and the elders are distracted from their primary duty. But what I hope that we come to understand from this text that we look at this morning is that faithful deacons serve to help us fulfill the mission of the church. Faithful deacons serve to help us fulfill the mission of the church. Now, let me be clear. When I say the mission of the church, this is what I mean. The Great Commission says that we are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. So to be faithful to the mission of the church means many disciples, maturing disciples, right? It's a both and, not an either or. We've got to get both of those things together. But faithful deacons serve to help us fulfill the mission of the church. And so let's turn our attention to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And let's hear about the blessing that deacons are to the body of Christ. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the, the Greek background believers, arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish background believers, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, to serve our time together, I want to address three main points from this text with the help of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And, and these three points are the origin of deacons, the qualifications of deacons, and the responsibilities of deacons. 
first the origin of deacons. We have to understand where, the or, where deacons came from, what their, if we're going to understand what their purpose is, what they're for, right? If we don't get where they came from, we can't understand their purpose. So this passage, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, I believe to be the origin, to be the prototype, the model for what would become the office of deacon. Now, why do I call it a prototype or a model and not just actually the first place you see deacons? Well, some biblical scholars don't want to go there for two reasons. First of all, they say, well, you don't see the word deacon appear anywhere in this text. There's no word deacon here, okay? And the second, you don't have the office of elder in this text either. What you have are the 12 apostles. So you don't have deacons and you don't have elders. You have the 12 apostles who get the entire church to select seven men to serve, and that's all you have. And I say, okay, I'll give you that, right? I'll give you that. But that word deacon, you know, diakonos, it's not used there. But the word deacon simply means servant or minister. Okay, in its broadest sense, that's all that it is. It's a servant, a minister. A deacon is one who serves. And though that word deacon does not appear in this text, conjugates of the word deacon do appear, three times in fact. The first one is right there in verse 1, where it says the daily distribution. That word distribution there is diakonia. It's service. It's most often translated service. Service that is the act of, uh, that a servant performs. In this case, the whole church was participating in this service of daily distribution. The whole church was involved in in this act of service. The second is in verse 2 where the apostles said that it's wrong for them to give up preaching the word to diakoneo, to serve tables. Again, that's the verb form of the word deacon. Here, the apostles are saying that we should not give up our primary function of the ministry of the word to perform a secondary function. Not that it's unimportant, not that we shouldn't do it or just throw it out, but we cannot neglect our primary responsibility for the sake of the secondary responsibility. And so let's find some qualified deacons to administer this service. And so what you see here is, is in terms of function, are two distinct offices. You've got the apostles who would pass on their ministry to the elders, right, who are devoting themselves to the word of God in prayer. And then you have what would be deacons who are serving. And then the third time we see the conjugate of the word deacon is found in verse 4 where it says, but we, that is the 12 apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the diakonia again, the ministry or the service of the word. But this time, the apostles are calling their primary function, their ministry, their service of prayer and the word to be just that, their service, their deaconing, what they do. And so just in these three verses right here, Though that word deacon is not used, we see service happening at three levels. You have it at the level of the entire congregation. You have it at the level of what would be deacons. And you have it at the level of what would be elders. Everybody serving. You get that, right? You see that happening right there in that text. Now, here's why I point this out. When we talk about this subject of deacons, I do not want us to be too reductionistic. 
I do not want us to narrow the focus down and miss how all of this fits together. Because we're talking about deacons not ultimately to focus on titles. It's not about achieving a title or an exalted position. It has nothing to do about being recognized as someone who is special or significant or important within the context of the church and how other people tend to view me. That is not it at all. And there's always this danger when you talk about the offices of the church for this to happen, for people to put on airs, whether that be deacon or elder. We have a tendency to exalt either ourselves or other people wrongly and create this us versus them mentality. And that's not what's meant to happen here. Let's keep it in mind. Service is happening on all levels. Everyone is serving. If you are in Christ, If you're a Christian, you've repented of your sin, you're following after Christ, you are following the example of Christ who served. Christ said of himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died on the cross for sin. He rose again to new life. He lived a life, a ministry that's full of sacrificing himself for the good of others and the proclamation of the gospel so that we who have new life in him through repentance and faith might follow after him, might reflect his nature and his character, his purposes. We might be like him, following his example, which means that we serve. Christ served, therefore all who truly follow Christ will serve. It's not just for those with titles or positions. It's certainly not just for deacons. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 reminds us that leaders within the local church were given by Christ to equip the saints. And who are the saints? That's everybody who's in Christ, who God calls holy now because they are in Christ, who they've received the Holy Spirit, who is now leading them towards holiness. That's a saint. You're a saint. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. And these leaders were given to equip the saints. That's all of you for the work of ministry, the work of service, diakonia. Okay? First Peter Chapter 4, verse 10 reminds us, as each has received a gift, and if you are in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That word, deacon, whether it comes in the form of service, serve, or servant, ministry, or minister, or ministering, it is meant ultimately to describe anyone and everyone who follows Christ, not just deacons. We have to get that. And so the word service, we see there in verse 1, in verse 4, it's used 39 times in the New Testament, but only in Verses one, or only in verse one is it used to describe the ministry of a deacon. One time out of 39. The verb form, to serve, it's used there in verse two. It's used 37 times in the New Testament, but only three times is it used to describe the activity of a deacon. There in verse two, and then in 1 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 13. And then the word, diakonos, deacon, servant, minister, Used 29 times in the New Testament. 
Guess how many times it's used of the office of deacon? Three, perhaps four, depending on how you understand Phoebe. Five times it's in reference to all disciples of Christ. Three times it's used in reference of a servant within a household. Two times it's used in reference to Christ himself. Two times in reference to governing authorities. Two times in reference to servants of Satan. Eleven or twelve times in reference to a particular servant of the church and or apostle like Paul or Epaphras or Tychicus, depending on how you understand Phoebe from Romans chapter 16 verse 1, she could be in that group, or three or four times in reference to the office of deacon. Again, depending on how you understand Phoebe. And we'll talk about her in a minute. The one other place besides Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 that you actually see the office of deacon is in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 where Paul greets the church at Philippi. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants, that's doulos, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Well, that doesn't give you a lot to run off of. And so... Of the 100 times that conjugates of the word deacon are used, only seven or eight, again depending on Phoebe, are in reference to the office of deacon. Seven out of 100. So we need to keep that in perspective. When we think about this office, when we think about who we are in Christ and who is to serve and who is not, okay? Christ served The apostles served, those like Timothy and Tychicus and Epaphras who labored alongside the apostles served, elders are to serve, Christians everywhere are to serve, and deacons are to serve. You are called to be servants, not just those with official titles. And so let's not miss the point here. And when thinking about deacons, try to relegate service to those whom we appoint to positions. That would be the wrong way to understand this sermon and every sermon we've looked at before in this series. And let me tell you this, I would sooner, I would sooner throw away all of the titles than to see the ministry of the church being relegated to a few people that we point to positions. That would be the wrong way to go. All Christians are called to be servants. We all have the responsibility to serve regardless of title. And how do we know that from that text? Verse 1, they were all involved in the daily distribution. Honestly, I hate being referred to as pastor or elder. And when I was a deacon, I hated to, to be referred to as a deacon. And not because I'm ashamed of the title in any way, because I'm not. My issue was that I wanted to guard against this notion of exalting titles. I don't want it to create this us versus them mentality, right? And and to see people sort of grasping for positions, grasping for control, and misses the point entirely. It goes against the very unity of the church that we were meant to have. And the only reason... The only reason that I don't throw out these titles altogether is simply because passages like this one support the distinction. And so I submit my will to the will of God on this one. You see, though all Christians are called to be servants, we have to get that if we're going to understand deacons. Though all Christians are called to be servants, 
Only some were called by the church to be deacons. And though this passage does not give them a title, it is in the background of the two passages that do, Philippians 1.1 and 1 Timothy 3.1-13. If you don't have this passage, Acts chapter 6, in the background of those others, then you could easily argue that there's only one office, the office of elder. And then when Philippians and, and 1 Timothy are talking about elders and deacons, they're really just saying the elders and everyone else, everyone who's a servant of the church, which is everybody. Right? You need this in the background if you're going to understand the distinction. And then there's the, the, the additional fact that you could argue, okay, when we look at all of Scripture, right? we're looking from Genesis to Revelation, you see elders in the Old Testament and you see elders in the New Testament, though there's discontinuity and continuity there, but you don't have any deacons in the Old Testament, so why would you have deacons in the New Testament? Right? We, we don't have... A, It would be easy to argue that way apart from Acts chapter 6. And so this is why we understand the origin of the office of deacon, okay? And it's out of everyone serving that this need arose within the church. Because again, what's happening here? The Hellenists or Greek background widows are being neglected in the daily distribution and it's causing disunity, it's causing division. Complaints arose. And so what happened here? The apostles said, Let's find deacons to organize this service. Okay, the service was already happening. It was growing. It was multiplying. They just needed organization. They needed administration so that the apostles could devote themselves to the word of God and to prayer. And the whole church could keep right on serving, but now under the administration of deacons who were appointed to fulfill this particular need or function within the church. You get that? We don't start with elders way up here and deacons way down here and then here's everybody else down here. It starts the other way. Well, sort of, right? You've got, you've got to have elders, right? But as far as the service of the church goes, it goes from the ground up, okay? So where does this office of deacon come from? It flows from the fact that as those who are in Christ, they're called to serve. All are servants of Christ and as we are faithful to follow in the service of Christ, Everybody is serving, and because everybody is serving, the greater need for administration of that service for the good of the church arises out of specific circumstances. So take, take practically here at the church, right? Think about our children's ministry. Now, the goal is everybody serving in the children's ministry. Now, imagine the pandemonium that would be if every single one of us showed up upstairs in room 226 to serve simultaneously. Now, that would be the heart that is meant to to take place within our church, this eager desire to serve. That should be the case, but that would just be nuts. We need some administration of that that ministry to be able to more effectively be the body. And thank God we have it. When those needs become clear then, we the church are to identify and appoint those who will be faithful to serve in this way. And we, the elders, then commission them for this ministry so that we might be able to continue to devote ourselves to our primary ministry of the word of God in prayer. So without Acts chapter 6, you have this New Testament office of deacon being described without any origin, without any background, without any understanding of of when or where or how it came to be or what on earth it is for. We've got to have this. We've got to come to understand it. And again, I want to reiterate, it flows out of the fact that everybody's serving. 
okay? That's why I took so long to talk about that, right? So that's the origin of deacons. Now, how do we identify faithful deacons? So let's look second at the qualification of deacons. Now, finding faithful deacons is not as simple as identifying a need for some type of administrative role and then going and writing out a job description and posting a sign and and selecting and accepting the best available candidate. Unfortunately, that's the way that many churches operate, that the felt need or the function drives the decision. And that's not the way that it's meant to be. And oftentimes what ends up happening is they place people in positions who are not qualified in the hopes that they might just sort of rise to the occasion. But inevitably, it hurts the church. And so we must be careful here. Our job in identifying deacons is not to fill positions, but to find those who are faithful. And that's what we see happening in the text. Now, at this time, the church could have been as large as 10,000 people. It was really big. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, around 3,000 had been added to their number. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, the number of men who believed or were a part of the church came to about 5,000. And so that doesn't include women or the possibility of believing children. And so let's just safely say there were 8,000. 8,000 believers, 8,000 who were part of the church, who, all of whom were being taught by the 12 apostles. Now, the worldly solution to that, that growth problem would be just to hire staff. We got to scramble. We got to get all of these positions together. We got to write out the job descriptions and hire. Okay, I'm taking you, 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 you. You do this, 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 go. Right? And just get it done. But that's not what we see happening here. God's design, is God's solution is a lot different. In chapter 8, we would see God's intention for raising up new elders was persecution of the church and the dispersion of Christians to the uttermost ends of the earth. Here in this text, what we have in the background is the slow and methodical process of discipleship towards maturity in Christ and the church's affirmation of the faithful. That's what you have here. And so look at Acts chapter three or 6, verse 3. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, those who are appointed to this duty of deacon are to be of good repute, meaning you can approve these men. You've bore witness to their life. You've attested to their character and their conduct, their convictions, their capabilities, their competencies in this area of ministry. You've seen them serve faithfully, and so you, the whole church, can come around and confirm them. Does that sound familiar? Should. Go back a few weeks ago. But not only that, they are full of the Spirit. You can clearly see the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They're, they're humble. They're servant-hearted. They love the gospel. They tell others about the gospel. You can see in them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can see clearly the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But not only are they full of the Spirit, they're also full of wisdom. Oh, it's a good thing we've been preaching through Proverbs, right? They know God's word and God's ways, but they also know how to take God's word and God's ways and faithfully apply it to the nitty-gritty of real life. 
Right? They can bring it down to that. They know how to carefully and pastorally resolve problems and direct others' hearts back to God. A faithful deacon can anticipate problems and head them off so that they do not derail the mission of the church. And faithful deacons live godly lives and they give of themselves so that others might do the same. But those are not the only qualifications of deacons. To give it, we're given a larger list in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So keep your finger here in Acts 6 and flip over to page 992, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Although this is a longer list, this again is not an extraordinary list. It's, it's very ordinary. It should be, describe all Christians, but, but elders and deacons should be exemplary in these roles, okay, or in these characteristics. So 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13 reads... Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now again, in addition to this being a very ordinary list that ought to describe all of us as Christians, this list is also interchangeable for the most part with the list that we just saw a few weeks ago in, uh, describing elders in, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, right? What is moral for elders is moral for deacons, and what is moral for deacons is moral for elders. We get this, right? If you don't get this, let me give you an example. Double tongue, not double tongue. It's there, it appears in the list towards deacons, to say that it's in the list of deacons and not in the list of elders does not mean that elders can now be double-tongued, right? I can be double-tongued, but sorry, Jason Wren, wherever you are, you cannot be double-tongued because you're a deacon and I'm an elder. That doesn't make any sense at all. No, largely these are interchangeable. The only exceptions would be the ability to teach and perhaps the whole not a recent convert thing that we see up with elders, right? Because deacons do not have the responsibility to teach. Doesn't mean that they can't teach, right? Let's keep in mind our list from Acts chapter six. Who are two guys on it? You got, Tim, you got Stephen, right? Pretty sure he taught, man full of faith, full of the spirit. And then you had Philip the evangelist both of which were using their platform to serve tables as an opportunity to share the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ. So they were teaching. But, but deacons don't bear that responsibility. And also the whole, uh, I think it's possible for a fairly recent convert to be able to faithfully fulfill the servant responsibilities of a deacon, but that just takes a little bit of wisdom. And so what we see here is just like the elders, the deacons are to be dignified. They're to be honorable. They're to be above reproach. They're to be worthy of respect. They must not be double-tongued, okay? So they're not two-faced. They don't say one thing to this group over here and turn around and say basically the complete opposite to this group over here. But being double-tongued would also mean that they actually do what they say that they're going to do and that their, their life matches their words. If they say, like they don't say one thing and do another, right? All of that is double-tongued. 
Deacons must not be addicted to much wine. You could safely say here, deacons are not addicted to anything, right? Well, how much is too much wine? You know, like, that's not the point, right? We are to be addicted or controlled by one thing in Scripture. Anybody know what it is? Ephesians 5, 18, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what's to control you, okay? Deacons must also not be greedy for dishonest gain. This is especially true if they're the ones who are administering this daily distribution or they're handling collections that are given uh, from the church to maybe another church. We have to know that they're content with their wages, that they're trustworthy in handling the church's finances. Verse 9 adds that deacons must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And deacons know and they hold to the doctrine of the church. I get it. They're, they're in agreement with and can articulate in their own words the doctrinal truths from our statement of faith. Furthermore, they cling to the true gospel without wavering. They are steadfast in their faith. But even more than that, not only do they know the gospel and have responded to it in repentance and, and faith, but they hold to the gospel with a clear conscience. Their behavior is consistent with their beliefs. Their character and their conduct matches their convictions. And sometimes it's difficult for us to identify this in people, to assess one's moral and spiritual and doctrinal positions, not to mention how faithful, how able are they to perform this act of service, which is why verse 10 says, let them be tested first. You test them first, and if they're faithful, let them serve as deacons when they prove themselves to be blameless. Will they be faithful to handle the responsibilities that they've been given? Are they really clamoring for a position or are they truly, is their heart one to serve? They're happy to do it. They're doing it anyway, right? We're looking for someone who is already serving, who is proving themselves to be able to fulfill all of the moral and spiritual and doctrinal and practical functions of that position. You know, Kyle and Jason were tested for months before we officially and unanimously appointed them as deacons. And we apply this to elders as well. And so when Kyle uh, was, was brought before us, I mean, we tested Kyle for four years before we unanimously appointed him as an elder. And I think that the largest reason why we were unanimous in those decisions is the fact that they had been tested that they had been proven. We've seen them serve. We've seen their faithfulness in all of those areas. They prove themselves blameless in that position. Now, verse 11, we come to the debated qualifications. Not that these qualifications are thrown out, but the issue becomes who are they speaking of? Is this speaking of the wives of deacons or is it speaking to women, women deacons? The text literally says wives or women. That pronoun that you see there in the ESV has been supplied. It says wives or women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Some other background we have to keep in our minds. We see in the Gospels that women served Jesus and his followers during Jesus' earthly ministry. And they have an active role. Luke who wrote Acts, was the one who made sure to point this out often. We have Phoebe, who in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, is called a diakonos, a deacon or servant of the church in Centrea. 
And then people often point to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And they would say, look, you cannot be unified, you cannot be one in Jesus if you see these distinctions. To which I would respond, well, Paul is not arguing for seeing distinctions. He's arguing against showing partiality. Right? He's not talking about the roles and functions within the church or in families. Right? Distinctions are not the issue. Partiality is. And that's what he's dealing with. This, this te- text actually says nothing about roles within homes or in the church. But nevertheless, people have been divided on this issue. Can women serve as deacons? Or the more feminine word, if you prefer that, deaconesses, or not? And then there's this, even, the, there's this mediating group. These guys crack me up. Because they try to take a, a, a stance between yes and no. And what they want to say is, look, yeah... The role of deacon, that's for men. But they're deaconesses. And that's for, fem- for, for women, but, but they're under the, the male headship of male deacons. So you basically have two offices of deacon there. I'm just throwing that one out because I don't think it helps anything. Either women are or they're not, right? We don't need to kind of qualify it. Now, let me just say this here. I, I know that this is a sensitive issue, and I, and I don't take any pride or pleasure in in my gender when it comes to this. I'm only trying to faithfully divide the word of God, okay? That is my ultimate goal. That is my ultimate responsibility in everything that I have to say. And let me also tell you this. I have read and I know and I respect and I love many, many faithful brothers and sisters who come down on different sides of this issue. And let me also say, that I have served as a member and as a deacon in churches, some that held to males only and some to male and female deacons. And I've done that. I don't think that this should be an issue of division within the church. But that being said, we still want to faithfully look at the word of God and rightly divide it. We want to, to... Submit ourselves to God's will and God's ways in all the things. And and that being said, I believe that Scripture, and and we the elders believe that Scripture best supports the office of deacon as being for men only. And we say that knowing there's very limited scriptural evidence. It's not like that of an elder. Um, There's there's basically four passages to look at to the equivalent of, of many, many others. Okay, so we know that. But we think that Scripture best supports that the office of deacon is for men only. And here's why. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the apostles see this problem. They gather the whole church together, this eight to 10,000 strong, okay? And they say, pick out from among you seven men. Now that word there, men, is andros, which means man, male, or husband. It's not the more general word, Uh, for man or mankind, anthropos, it's andros. So they're asking for seven husbands, seven males, seven men. And as a result of their request, this church of thousands, thousands, mind you, put forward seven men. 
That's what they do, okay? Now, you would think that in a church of thousands, there would also, and I'm I'm sure that there were, there would also be women who were also of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. I believe that's true. Nevertheless, they put forward seven men. Now, the pushback is always this, right? This passage is descriptive and not prescriptive. It describes what happened. It's not saying this is how you ought to do it. And I absolutely agree with that. We do not base our theology off of narrative. But yet those same people who want to argue for female deacons, often they go to the ministry of Jesus and they say, look there, you've got women who are faithfully serving Jesus and all of his followers and they're doing it and it's naming them. So that's got to be significant. Well, again, it's got to work both ways. You can't be prescriptive in the gospels and and descriptive in, in Acts. It's descriptive in both, right? And I think that what we see happening with these women in the gospels is that they are faithfully serving the church as they're supposed to, as all Christians are. And it's making a point to identify that. And so what you have in both of these is that it's describing what's happening and what happens in this passage is that the elders call for seven men and the church puts forward seven men. Okay? But there's much more than that. You got Romans 16.1 with Phoebe. I think it's best to understand that word deacon there, not as an official position within the church, but the way we see it happening in, in the 25 other times that we see it used in the New Testament of servant or minister. Not as an official capacity, Right? Remember, the word deacon is used 29 times in the New Testament, only three in the, towards the office of deacon. And Romans 16, verse 1, doesn't give us enough information to say with any certainty that it's speaking of her in an official capacity. Only that she's a servant of the church of Centraea, and she's the one who delivered Paul's letter to the Romans. That's all we have to go on. It's not enough. And now before we look at, at just... 1 Timothy 3.11, we have to keep in mind 1 Timothy 2.12 and 13, which precedes it, sets everything up, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, and he roots it in creation, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And the question becomes, can a deacon faithfully serve without exercising some measure of authority? Quite honestly, I, I would say I don't think they can, really. Deacons lead in the service of the church. They lead so that others can better serve. And that comes with a measure of authority. But either way, 1 Timothy chapter 2 informs us that Paul roots his ordering, his purposing, his design of the church, saying that's not ultimately my design, it's God's design, and it's rooted in creation. So it's not dealing with, oh, there's this problem in Ephesus. This is, no, this is the way God intended it to be. And that's not to say that that women are somehow inferior because of that. And so when we come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, it's best to understand that word gune, woman or wife, to be translated as wives and not women. And we've got a lot even right here in, in this passage. In verse 2, the elders are to be husband of one wife, gune. And then down in verse 12, you've got the deacons are to be the husband of one wife, gune. Right? So it doesn't make sense to translate it into as wives, translate it in 12 as wives, and then translate it in 11 as woman. Get that? Seems best to translate them all as wives. Okay? Also, regardless of that word likewise, which doesn't mean that Paul is explicitly talking about a new position, if Paul wanted to establish female deacons, 
all he would have had to do is use the female form of the word deacon. And then it's clear, right? It's absolutely clear. But he didn't use the female form of the word deacon. He used wives. So why did he use wives? Well, I think he used wives because just given the nature of deacons' ministry, women are more likely to accompany their husbands as they serve as deacons, particularly if they have served widows, as we see them doing in Acts chapter 6. And so what Paul is doing there, he's taking a moment to address them in the event that they are being faithful wives and helping their husbands. If he's referring to women deacons, then you would think that he would also speak more to the marital status and the faithfulness of these women. Because we see in, in 1 Timothy, when he addresses elders and their qualifications, he says, look, I'm looking at your marital status and I'm looking at your fidelity. When he addresses male deacons, he says, look, I'm looking at your marital status and I'm looking at your fidelity. And even when you come to chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, in the enrollment of widows, he said, look, I'm looking at their enrollment, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking at their marital faithfulness and their fidelity. I'm looking at both of those things. So why, why would Paul make it an explicit point to bring it up for male elders, for male deacons, and for female widows, but not in reference to female deacons? It's a good point. Another factor is just the flow of logic because in verses 8 through 10, he would be addressing only male deacons and then he would have to take a break in verse 11 to now address this new role of female deacon. And, then, and so then you kind of like, well, then that makes these, these roles, uh, these, these qualifications less interchangeable. And then in verse 12, he would have to then return back to male deacons once again. So you got male deacons, female deacons, male deacons again. Right? As if like, but, but verses 12 and 13 are not some afterthought, as if to say, oh, 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 wait, I forgot. Male deacons, let me add this in there. Right? <clears throat> and then there's going to be more <laughs> later in verse 12. <laughs> oh, oh, one other thing. The unequal qualifications, right? You've got nine listed then for men, but only four for women, right? It's unequal. But it can't be because they're more mature or more holy because in 1 Timothy 5, verses 11 through 16, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, there's, Paul makes sure to warn Timothy of the dangers that false teachers might lead women in particular astray. Okay, so that doesn't make sense. Verse 12 is also going to argue for it in a moment. So I think that all of that helps us to best understand that 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 is addressing the wives of deacons. Since they, at times, will be serving alongside their husbands in ways that elders' wives cannot. And so because that is the case, here are a few qualifications for these wives of deacons. They must be dignified, just like their husbands. They must not be slanderers, those who spread gossip. They must be sober-minded, they must be reasonable, not led about by their emotions or their whims, but thoughtful and purposeful and faithful in all things. The wives of deacons are to be trustworthy. Her character is important to the success of his ministry. Therefore, she must be committed and self-controlled and faithful, just like her husband, even though he is the one who has been tested and he is the one who's been approved to the office. 
Verse 12, like the elders. Again, we, we see, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife. And now that word each there, it's supplied. It doesn't mean that he has to be the husband of one wife, but that if he's married, he is faithful and pure. He's a one-woman man. And just like the elders, if he has children, he is to manage his children and his own household well. Again, what we see happening here is the role of male headship and spiritual leadership in the home coming to bear upon a person's qualification for the office within the church, just like we saw with elder. Now, friends, don't, don't miss the point here. I don't say this to slight or to minimize the ministry of women in any way, and neither is Paul. It's not to say that their service or their ministry is somehow less valuable because we have to keep in mind, the thing I've tried to pound into us over and over and over again is that the whole church is serving. It's not about titles. It's not about positions uh, that should motivate us to service. We should all be serving. So what's with the offices then? Well, the offices, it's ultimately about responsibility. It's about who bears greater accountability for how those areas of ministry go. And to protect the church from a lack of leadership or from poor leadership and to reflect his good and wise purposes for the church in order for us to reflect the nature and character of the triune God in whom we see headship and submission God designed the church to look this way. And he gave these qualifications to the church, to these deacons who are to be men. Friends, again, I, I don't want to miss the forest for the tree here. Okay? It doesn't matter. We're called to serve. Let's serve. So what if it's for, for men or, or women? That's not the point. It's not something to divide and argue over. These are the things that we're to look for in men who are qualified for the office of deacon. And we want to pray that as needs arise within our church, that God would raise up faithful men who we can easily find already serving, but who are willing to serve at an even greater capacity for the good of this body, because he's looking forward to that future reward in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That needs to be the motivation for anyone who would arise to the office of deacon. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse this is 8 through 13. It describes what to look for in a deacon, but it doesn't say anything about what a deacon is responsible for. Did you notice that? The only inference we can draw is just what's in the name. A deacon serves. But that's not really that helpful. So we need to go back to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 to, to briefly clarify the responsibilities of deacons. And I have three, three responsibilities of deacons from this text. Now, it needs to be clear, it ought to be clear to us by now, but the office of deacon should not be confused with the office of elder. They are distinct offices. Deacons do not oversee the church. They are not ruling authorities or heads of the church. They're not some second house of the legislation who is constantly putting the elders in check. 
They're not even a board. They're deacons, and deacons serve. They're not responsible for the ministry of the word. They are chosen by the whole congregation. They are tested, and then they are appointed to the office by the elders through prayer and through the laying on of hands in order to meet particular needs of the church according to the word. You see, God has called us all to be servants, and it's through our serving that people can see something different about us. And that's what we see happening in the books of, book of Acts. And that's what we see happening right there. God's desire is for us to care for and to serve others in such a way that people can see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 6. All right? And they're doing this through this daily distribution toward the poor and needy. But that's not the only way that deacons can serve. Basically, any area of ministry that you see in the church that needs greater organization, right? Like everybody's up in the children's ministry, no one's down here, and it's all pandemonium up there. That's a great example. Or anything that would, would keep the elders from focusing on their primary responsibility of the ministry of the word, all of those could be areas to be administered by deacons, And some common things that we see, common areas where deacons serve in churches in the area of finances or benevolence or facilities or communications or logistics or or some area of practical physical care. And those needs will become clear as we are faithful as a church to serve. Those things will come, uh, come, come before us and we can at that point identify people who are faithful in serving in those ways and meet those qualifications. And it's not that deacons, again, do the work themselves, but they organize or they bring order to a particular ministry need that the whole church is doing. Now, Mark Dever points out that caring for people, especially for other Christians and most especially for other members of our own congregation, according to Galatians 6, is important for three reasons. For the physical well-being of those concerned, for the spiritual well-being, and as a witness to those outside the church. Because what did Jesus say in John 13? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The physical care that's presented there in Acts chapter 6 demonstrates that kind of Christ-like love that allows us to bear witness with our lives, with our service as a body, that we follow Christ. Now, meeting a particular needs according to the word is, is only one of the responsibilities of deacons. It's one of the most obvious, but there's actually two more that we see in this passage. The second and often most neglected responsibility of a deacon is to promote unity around the word. You see, a dispute rose in the church between these Greek background Christians and these Jewish background Christians because the widows were being neglected in this daily distribution. And the physical neglect was the cause of a spiritual disunity in the church. And this is what ultimately concerned the apostles. Right? They were ultimately afraid that the church would divide again along these cultural lines. And so they appointed deacons to head off that disunity in the church. You see, deacons are meant to be peacemakers. Deacons will have to attend to any number of thorny frustrations and problems in the local church. And so they need to be full of grace and of wisdom 
able to use their gifts and their abilities that the Holy Spirit has given them to settle conflicts, not to stir up strife. They are to put out fires, not to start them. They, they need to have a big picture of the vision and mission of the church. They need to keep that in view and, be, and serve for that purpose, not their own small-minded concerns. They're not turfy, caring about only their own area, their own rights, their own agendas, their own wants. People who are grumbling and complaining, people who are resentful toward their leaders, people who are unhappy with the church, they cannot faithfully serve the church. And especially in the role of deacon. Deacons are not those who have the loudest complaints or those who jar the church with their actions and attitudes, but they are those who labor hard to help the church to fulfill its mission. They do not serve as roadblocks or emergency brakes. They serve as shock absorbers, helping the car to better navigate through the potholes and hazards of the road toward its ultimate destination. They are missions-minded, willing to play their part to edify and to build up in love, to help the whole church to fulfill its mission to see all of God's people reach maturity in Christ. You want a great example of that? Look at Stephen and look at Philip. That's what we're going for. That's what we're striving for as a deacon. So deacons meet particular needs according to the word. They promote unity around the word. And third, they support the ministry of the word. As a church, we are called to serve. As a church, we are called to meet the needs of those people who the Lord has placed in our paths so that when people see our good deeds, they glorify our God and Father in heaven. But ministering to needs can't take precedent or happen to the neglect of the ministry of the word. We see there in Acts chapter 6 verse 2, right? Now, I'm sure that the apostles were delighted that the church was active in the daily meeting the needs of others. And let me just say that here at Redeemer, I would love for that to be the case. I would love to see you guys serving so faithfully that that it's like you're trying to better one another's service to the point where like we got to appoint some deacons to this to bring this thing into order, right? I want that to be the case. Please do that. Challenge me, test me in that. But yet they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In verse four, they said, we'll find these seven so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, these apostles, keep this in mind, they're following the example of Christ. They're being faithful stewards. They're being faithful representatives of Christ Jesus, who at different times, though he was ministering to the physical needs of others, would depart from that area and move on to the next place. For what purpose? To preach the good news, right? If you question that, just go home and read Mark chapter one. You'll see it, all right? So they're following the example of Christ who did that. It's not an either-or statement, though. It's not like, oh, let's, let's abandon ministering to needs in order to preach the word. It's a both-and. 
We need to be doing both. But the word of God increasing takes primacy. That's what we put first in a long line of things that we ought to be doing. The word of God increasing as it's commended through our service and through our acts of love, but more clearly, the word of God increasing as we are teaching and preaching and praying and ministering the word of God to others. Deacons were chosen by the church and appointed by the elders to help the church do just that. So what's ultimately happening in this text, if I can summarize in two simple statements, is this. Deacons serve the elders so that they can lead, and deacons lead others so that they can serve. Deacons serve elders so that they can lead, and deacons lead others so that they can serve. That's what's happening right here in this text. The deacons are not trying to usurp or to clamor for control of the church, but they are happily willing to submit themselves and to come up under, to serve, and to build up, to hold up the ministry of the word of God. And friends, when that happens, when the whole church is serving, when deacons are ministering that service, and when the elders are devoting themselves to the word of God and prayer, here's what happens in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, they gave up their futile but exalted positions of service and humbled themselves because they knew that offering sacrifices was futile, that it could not save, and they became obedient to the faith. Friends, that's what happens when the whole church, elders, deacons, and congregation embraces the mission that God has given to each one of us. That when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is what we are going for. That's what we're striving for. That's what I want this church, elders, deacons, and the entire congregation to be about. To see that happen. And deacons have a vital part to play in that. Because faithful deacons serve to help us fulfill the mission of the church. So let's pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for your wisdom and your purpose and your goodness in designing the church so that we might better reflect your nature and your character and to fulfill the calling that you have placed upon each and every one of us. Lord, we, I pray that we would not walk out of here confused about the, uh, the offices of elder and deacon any longer, that we would not look at them longingly or resentfully as some sort of exalted position, that there would be no air of pride or place in our minds as we think about what it means to be called to these different offices, but that we would see that all of them really arise out of a willingness to reflect the nature and character of Christ who served, who gave himself, and who called us to be his servants. And God, we thank you for that privilege. Lord, I pray that you, that you would change our hearts and our minds about service altogether, that we would not see it as a duty, as something that is a burden and that we begrudge, but that we would take joy in reflecting the service of Christ. 
And then out of that, we would see faithful people arise to serve the needs of this church in, in ways that are, are better, more fruitful, so that we can see many more disciples come into the church and many more disciples reach maturity in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word to guide us in that. I pray that we would be a church that is faithful to it. It's in Christ's name we pray. As we heard, uh, the role of deacon and really of elder is really to 